Hi, and welcome back to the Adapted Podcast. In this episode, it's just Chuck and myself. We're going to be talking about open source software, kind of introduction to what open source means uh, and how it relates to Adapt. I'll kick it off by bringing over to you, Chuck. Simon, we've both been using Adapt for over six years now. May I assume that when you're introducing someone to Adapt, you mentioned the fact that it's open source software, don't you? Yeah, I mean, there are other things that are quite unique about Adapt, the fact it's responsive, uh, you know, the design of it. But, you know, a lot that features become a lot more common. Every uh, offering tool now seems to be responsive. So, yeah, the main unique thing about Adapt is the fact it's open source. Right. When when people hear that a product is open source, their response is often quite polarized. Either they are positive about it or they have some negative perceptions and maybe even want to avoid it. And, and then there's those people who just stare back in silence because they don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to lump them in with the negatives. Uh, can you begin by addressing some causes of these perceptions. Maybe start by talking about the perceived positives of using open source. The first thing people think of when they hear open source is, well, if, if you've heard the phrase before, is like, you know, it's free. It's, it's free to use. You, you've maybe used open source alternatives for like image editing software or, uh, you know, VLC video players, stuff like that. So, um, you know, there's a lot of great open source software out there and people are used to this free idea of it being free and, you know, offering tools in particular, you know, the most popular offering tool in the market is a thousand dollars a year. Like it's not an affordable product, especially if you're, you kind of, you know, new to the industry and you're looking to get started and you can't afford that big expense up front. So yeah, I, I do think people are very drawn to the fact it's, it's free and, you know, that's, that's one of the, the main positives, um, but there are other reasons beyond it, just the price point. You know, with open source software, you can do whatever you want to do with it. Uh, you know, there are caveats to that, of course, but um, you can make it work in a kind of radically different way. You can change the operation of it. And, you know, with these proprietary tools that exist, you, you don't have that flexibility. You kind of have to be limited by the vision of the creator of the software of how they envision it being used. But with open source software, you can kind of start with that. And then if you have the developers and the knowledge to do it, you can expand upon that. The third point is, you know, when you're using proprietary software, especially cloud-based proprietary software, like um, you could really end up with this thing where imagine the company goes out of business or, you know, they raise the prices on you, you aren't happy with it. Like, um, if, if you're like not subscribed to the software, you kind of lose access to all of your content. Like you can't edit it and maintain it in the future. You're kind of trapped into this ecosystem and with open source, you know, there's no lock in like that. You're allowed to kind of with adapt, you can use the framework, you can use the offering tool and it's very flexible about how you do it and how you use it. And, you have that freedom, which you don't have with proprietary software. Yeah, managing risk seems to be an issue that cuts both ways. Uh, some people think that using open source software is risky. Maybe this is a good point for us to jump into some negative perceptions? Yeah, I mean, there are obviously negative sides to it. And, um, you know, proprietary software 
can feel more stable to some people. You know, they can see a company, they can see their employees, they can see, uh, you know, the marketing budget, that kind of thing. And that gives them somewhat more of a sense of trust and stability. Uh, even though as the points I made previously about like, if that collapses, then you're kind of in trouble. Um, they may also have this perception of like, they can't trust the business model of open source because they don't know how it, you know, how it operates and how, it, you know, they might think there's some other way they're going to like charge you or exploit you if you're using this open source software. Yeah. And of course, with open source software, th there is this kind of uh, connotation of it of being like a developer based software and maybe not as um, easy to use as, as propriety tools. Obviously, this does depend from software to software, like uh, what kind of software you're using. But, um, you know, people might be kind of put off by that and they might think it's going to take a long time to learn and get used to. Uh, they might also have kind of security concerns that, you know, perhaps hackers can access it because they can see the code. They might have some loopholes that... Um, maybe private software doesn't have. Um, so yeah, in the end of the day, it really depends from software to software what the negative perceptions could be if, if they are there. Okay, I think that's a pretty good look at some of the pros and cons, or at least some of the varying perceptions of open source software. Uh, let's swing back to one of the big issues that raises questions for so many people who are new to open source software. Why do software developers make open source software? What's the business model behind it? What's the motivation when the software is free? Yeah, I mean, that could be a very complicated answer. And um, I guess the main reason people make open source software is because they want to reduce the barrier to entry of people using the software. Um, they want to make it, obviously, free makes anything attractive and people's being able to see the code and uh, have an understanding of it. Um, you know, once you have software, there's so many more tangible benefits, like intrinsic benefits that come from more users. Like you have more people to request features like report bugs, larger kind of support community available. You have people creating plugins and kind of developing the software as well. So um, in terms of the actual business models behind it, um, the companies I'm aware of, they have kind of two approaches. They have the .com approach, uh, and then they alternatively maybe have an in-house tool approach where um, it's a different look in it. So with the .com approach, um, you know, this is when they are trying to make a business model behind it, and they create a company that supports the Open Source Foundation and. This company does stuff like consultancy or custom development or hosting um, of the, the software they provide. Uh, you know, there's countless examples of companies that do this, uh, like Moodle, you know, Drupal, WordPress, H5P, Gatsby. Uh, these are all really popular open source uh, platforms that exist, and um, they kind of use this business supported model. Uh, but then there's also a kind of in-house tool model as well, which is um, kind of not really a business model. I guess it, it's more like there's an internal need for the software to exist within the company. And uh, 
the benefits I listed before about kind of why more users using it is good kind of extends that. And obviously they, they might lose a competitive advantage, but it's the benefits outweigh the, the cons, I guess. So the best example of this is uh, React, which is a kind of JavaScript library, which uh, was created by Facebook now Meta. And, um, you know, obviously a, a company like Facebook has a huge internal need for developers and uh, they have such scale that, you know, they need to create an in-house tool which creates these front-end library websites. And, um, you know, the benefits they get from people using their tool means that when they're hiring developers, they know they can hire people that already know how to use their way of working and, um, you know, their, their way of working becomes more standardized across the industry. And that's a huge benefit to them as a company. So, um, obviously that's, uh, part of it. Um, one more thing I kind of forgot to mention is this kind of hobbyist idea of open source and, you know, maybe in the early days of open source, this was more prevalent, like the kind of idea of people doing it for passion and for, um, you know, they're not necessarily looking for a return on the investment of the time it takes to develop. And maybe it's just a few developers, maybe a single guy or girl, and they're just interested in working on this problem. And, um, you know, obviously this is uh, still a kind of recurring idea of open source that people have like a community and people supporting this open product. But, um, Obviously, long term, there are issues with that kind of approach of like, how do the people sustain themselves? So, um, yeah, I, I kind of left it as an afterthought mm-hmm. because it's not really a proper business model, but it's obviously an interesting mm-hmm. thing to consider. Yeah. So, so which of these approaches do you think Adapt would most closely align with? Sure. So, Adapt is probably closer to the in-house tool idea. I mean, there are multiple companies that work on Adapt and, uh, you know, they have different ideas for the software. And instead of like a single company, which is kind of driving it, there's multiple companies that are working on Adapt. But, um, you know, when Adapt Adapt was started by uh, Kineo, they had an internal need for this software, similar to Facebook, uh, the example I gave earlier. And, um, you know, it led to them creating Adapt and they saw the benefits of open sourcing it. Um, but yeah, as more companies joined the foundation Adapt Learning organization, uh, they had different business models that they implemented, you know, and some companies offer hosting and modifications to Adapt that they sell as a kind of SaaS product. So um, there are different different approaches for, for Adapt. Um, but yeah. It's never had the same kind of like centralized commercial dot com business as you know WordPress or H5P or Moodle. Yeah, so Adapt's a bit different from other open source projects, I think, um, since it's it's not owned and controlled by a single entity. It's got a variety of contributors who all give to the project for their own benefit, right? Is that fair? Yeah. Uh, then it seems to me that this comes with its own set of opportunities and challenges, yes? Yeah, of course that's true. Like there are benefits, you know, there's lots of perspectives and 
different ideas for the main core offering and also plugins like that does lead to a lot of innovation and different ways of thinking uh which is really great but then you know there are obviously some challenges you know the companies have to be aligned and have uh understanding of each other and kind of respect um especially for the idea of like a competitive advantage like maybe if you created a, a plugin like there could be a competitive advantage to not sharing it freely with the community. So, you know, I, I think there does have to be a sense of trust. And I think we've seen with Adapt sometimes there is issues with that. But I mean, in general, I, I think it is a positive thing. Yeah. Uh, Simon, we've been exploring how Adapt is different from other e-learning course authoring software by virtue of it being open source. Uh, we've looked at We've looked at the money issue. We've looked at the collaboration that goes into producing it. Uh, but the open source philosophy also shows up in its license. I can imagine an e-learning agency with 10 employees looking at Adapt and, and getting excited that they don't have to pay software license fees anymore. But they shouldn't ignore the license. Can I finish off this segment by uh, making a few points about the license? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Uh, as I implied, I think far too many people view fees as the only obligation of a software license. The license requires me to pay a fee. I pay it. I'm done. There's no reason to look further at the license. And if I didn't have to pay for a license, surely there can't be anything else in there worth paying attention to. Uh, but a license is not primarily about collecting money. It is an extension of copyright. It, it explains what rights the copyright holder is extending to you. Okay, so we've got the, the rationale of the traditional model of a software license, and it goes something like this. I'm the copyright holder. I determine what you can do and cannot do with my work. In exchange for allowing you to run my software on X number of machines, and to make X number of copies of it, you must pay me X amount of money. All right. Adapt is licensed under GPL v3, version 3. And, and that's not the approach that the GPL takes. Uh, by the way, GPL stands for GNU Public License. So if um, you can do a little research on the internet, that's what you'll be looking for. Its rationale goes something like this. I'm the copyright holder. I determine what you can and cannot do with my work. In exchange for allowing you to run my software on unlimited machines, to make unlimited copies of it, to modify it in unlimited ways, and to sell it at any price you can get with absolutely no remittance to me, you must license these same rights to the next person. So if you modify the code of the ADAPT framework or create a new plugin and you convey it to someone outside your company, whether they paid for it or not, it is automatically released under the GPL license. So let's count that as my first point. Any product you release that is based on ADAPT code is automatically released under the terms of GPL v3. Okay, point number two. It's a quick follow-up. If you include a code library in your plugin that is destined to be released under the GPL, 
that license of, of the code, the code library's license must be compatible with the GPL. Uh, and that makes sense. And you can just go online to see which software licenses are compatible. But that's the second thing that I think is in the license that uh, uh, users should be paying attention to when they when they use um, ADAPT. Uh, point three, when you pass along an e-learning course, you must be prepared to provide the source code. The idea is that you cannot pass along the same rights that you benefited, benefited from if you don't pass along the source code. The GPL license ensures that the software will stay alive and relevant by ensuring that the source code stays freely available. So if you make an ADAPT course for someone and you give them the SCO, the SCORM package, be ready to give them the source code too. Conversely, if someone delivers an ADAPT course to you, you have the right to expect and to receive the source code. Okay, but let's let's be clear about the parties involved and the triggering actions. You only have to provide the source code to the party to whom you gave the scope. You don't have to release it to the whole entire world, but you are giving them the right to do so if they choose. Meaning that once you turn it over to them, they have the same rights that you have and they can release it in any way they want. And the triggering action? The triggering action is a conveyance. What if you don't convey the ADAPT course? What if the code in question is running on your servers, is available only to your organization, and never leaves your servers? Uh, in that case, you're under no obligation to share the source code with anyone. All right, so those those are three points that I want to make. I want to highlight those and, and uh, have people look for those in the license. Any product you release that is based on the ADAPT code is automatically released under the terms of GPL v3. If you include a code library in your ADAPT plugin, the license of the code library must be compatible with GPL. And thirdly, when you pass along an ADAPT course, you must be prepared to provide the source code, not just the SCORM package. Okay, now those are not meant to summarize the entire GPL. It's just meant to highlight aspects that frequently raise questions. Everyone, please read the GPL on your own. You don't need to be a lawyer to understand it. By reading it, you'll know better when to engage your legal department for clarification or God forbid for some action. Uh, do you think this is enough for this episode? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. And obviously this is meant to be a very high level introduction. And, uh, you know, if you do have questions, you want to find out more, there are lots of friendly people in the ADAPT forums and on Gitter who can kind of help guide you through these, navigate through these kind of obstacles and understand if ADAPT is right for you. But um, it does give you a lot of freedom, which other offering tools don't use. And I guess it's, it's a good way to summer. Yeah. Right. And if folks have questions, they, they, they can track us down too. Yeah. So if you are looking to contact us as well as the open source community, you can reach us on adapt.tips. Uh, at the bottom, there's an author section. So you can kind of email both Chuck and I. Um, we'll be happy to help everyone who's interested. Uh, reach us on Twitter 
uh, adapt tips on Twitter. Um, so yeah, um, thanks again and uh, look forward to the next episode coming soon. Yeah, bye. Next time.